Matthew chapter 24. Beginning in verse 36, we'll read down to the end of the chapter so that we might have the whole context of what our Lord is speaking of. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I have often over the years expressed my great disappointment of a lack of biblical hymns which declare the righteous judgment of God. Even today, many of what they call Christian songs are soft-pedaled and carnal desires to satisfy and comfort the flesh, yet little to do with the majesty, glory, and honor of God. To say that this passage of Scripture this morning has been greatly troubling to me during my studies would be a great understatement. For the more I contemplated these words of Christ, the more I became awestricken and amazed at the content of what our Lord is speaking of. And I pray and hope this morning that you would listen. As we sang those hymns and those psalms, my mind kept referring back to this passage of Scripture when our Lord is actually declaring how we should all be ready for we know not the hour nor the day, but we should be ready, we should be watchful, because that day will come upon us unawares. 
And as we sang those hymns and sang those psalms, I thought of some of you this morning who sit amongst us that know not Christ. What a privilege you have this morning to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the singing of hymns and psalms. What an honor you have to hear the saints of God sing praise to their God. Because if you're not careful this morning, one day there shall be silence. No more saints of God singing hymns. No more messages from God's messenger. There shall be nothing but a deep silence before the great judgment of God. You have this morning the honor and you have this morning by God's tender mercies the possibility of listening to what Christ says in our text and to turn from your ways and turn to Christ. And I hope and pray that you would pay attention and listen. I do not propose to be long but I hope and pray that this brief sermon this morning will awaken your conscience and your heart. Because even though the judgment of God lingers as in the days of Noah, it is surely coming. And it will be swift. And it will be unexpected. And it will take your soul away. At this very moment, while your heart beats and your ears are open to the preaching of God's word, I pray that you would take this moment not for granted, but I pray that you would seriously consider what is about to be said this morning and take it to heart before he comes and cuts you asunder and appoints you your portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That Christ would compare the coming of the Son of Man with the days of Noah is of itself most astonishing and yet fearful. For his reference to the days of Noah refers to the greatest judgment of God against sinful man to this day. Do you know that? It was the greatest judgment of God upon sinful man to this day. Every flesh, all flesh, besides eight souls, were destroyed and taken away. The whole world, millions if not more, millions if not more, suffered the severe judgment of God. And only eight souls were saved. That is something that we must seriously consider as our Lord says, I want you to contemplate the coming of the Son of Man in light of the days of Noah. This is God's tender mercy and grace towards all sinners this morning because He's actually telling them how they can avoid the same judgment. It was a worldwide destruction. And I don't know or don't believe that any of us can even fathom what that day of judgment looked like, but it had to be horrific in itself. 
with tornadoes and hurricanes. I was looking at a picture of a high mountain this morning, and I thought and I considered how much water it took to cover all the mountaintops in the world, the tidal waves and the beast and all the animals and the human beings trying to ascend to the highest peak and fighting to be able to get to that highest peak with the lions and the tigers and all the animals, and they're all fighting to save themselves from the flood, and yet none of them survived. And for days after the flood, how many of the corpses were floating on tops of the water? Rottening in the water as Noah's Ark stayed above the floods and the waters. It was a horrific event. Therefore, we need, we must listen to our Lord this morning why He compares the coming of the Son of Man with the days of Noah. He would have us seriously consider those days of Noah leading up to God's great judgment that we might awaken from our great complacency and indifference to yet another day of judgment. One which shall be even greater than the days of Noah. You notice in this whole context, our Lord uses Noah's story as a basis to tell us to watch, to be ready. Because we know not when our Lord shall come. And it shall come in an hour when we're not expecting it. He uses the story of Noah to build that exhortation. This is God's tender mercy and grace. He is giving you time. He's giving you space to contemplate what He's saying. Shall you be just as complacent and indifferent as the people in the days of Noah that ignored God's messenger in the building of the ark and despised the long-suffering of God until the judgment comes and takes you away as well? Will you stay in your complacency? Do you still think, I have time? It's not important at the moment. Many of you here this morning have heard a lot. You've heard a lot of preaching. You've heard the scriptures read in your family devotion. You've sang the hymns and the psalms. You've heard about the grace of God and His mercy and also of His coming judgment, and yet you still remain complacent and indifferent, as in the days of Noah. I pray you would listen this morning, because your complacency and indifference means that you're in great danger. That alone should cause you to awaken, at least shortly, to consider why are you so complacent and indifferent? Do you realize that that could be your doom? Sinful man continues to mock and even deny the days of Noah. Some, even though their intentions be ever so sincere, and I pray you'll understand when I say this, 
have even made this great and terrifying event an attraction. The more I thought about that, the more I was amazed. I know their intentions are good, but how foolish and ignorant can man be? They make the event of Noah an attraction, a money-profiting entertainment to amuse man with their gift shops and their souvenirs. I think this has greatly encouraged the cries of the scoffers. You see, the reference to Noah's days in our text is not about a nice little ark and pairs of animals joyfully running up the ramp and Noah and his family getting into the ark with smiles and saying this is like a child's Sunday school story. The days of Noah was evidence of the judgment of God. We should never, as God's people, make it appear to be an entertainment or an amusement. Who cares if man can build the likeness of an ark and abuse, amuse sinful man on what it looked like? Now they're even talking about replicating the Tower of Babylon. The same people. Both of those events cause judgment of God. And make a mockery of it. May God give us grace to take this passage of Scripture this morning seriously. And I pray, and I do pray, and I know every Christian does this morning. We're praying that if you're here this morning and yet without Christ, we pray that you'd see the danger of your complacency and indifference. And that you would see yourself as those in the days of Noah. But we hope and pray that you'll be awakened by God's grace. Because if you don't, you'll not know either. Stay with me. You'll not know either till the judgment comes. They knew not until the flood come. What did they not know? I'm getting ahead of myself. They didn't believe the judgment of God until it came and then it was too late. They knew not until the flood came. If the gospel don't awaken you, if God's messengers don't awaken you, the judgment of God will. Yet too late. How can you impress that upon somebody? I thought about that this morning as a preacher. There's no way any man can impress that upon anybody. It takes the power of the gospel. It takes Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to impress that. Noah preached for 120 years. There was no revival in his latter years. There was no uh, great moving of the Spirit of God and many coming to conversion. Only eight got onto the ark. That must have been frustrating for Noah. And if you compare Scripture, which we'll probably do next week, you'll find out that actually it was the Spirit of Christ who was in Noah preaching. If you look at Second Peter and First Peter, it was actually the Spirit of Christ who was preaching, and yet still only eight entered into the ark. Oh, what chances do you have if you stay in your complacency? If even when Christ preached to the Noah, they still did not believe Noah. Oh, I pray that you would see and recognize your hopelessness without Christ. 
and the stupidity of your complacency and indifference. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels, heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Though Christ would quickly silence the foolish curiosity of sinful man, which seeks to know those things which belong only to God, and though he knows not man the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh, yet Christ would exhort sinful man that such ignorance, listen to me, that such ignorance of not knowing the day nor the hour, such ignorance does not excuse you from being watchful and ready. For in such an hour, when ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Verse 37 to 39, read with me. But as in the days of Noah, as, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, watch what he's emphasized, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Until the very day that Noah entered in the dark and God closed the door, they were all complacent and indifferent to what every Moses had said for 120 years and to the building of the ark and the long-suffering of God for 120 years. They were complacent and indifferent and they didn't care. They went upon their merry life as though everything would be fine. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. You notice in our text there's no mention of the building of the ark. There's no mention of the saving of eight souls in our text. Look what Christ, look what Christ is saying here. He's not mentioning anything about the building of the ark like Peter does, about God's long-suffering during the days Noah's building the ark. There's nothing said about the saving of eight souls. He mentions that Noah enters into the ark, but there's nothing about the saving of eight souls. There's no mention of the long-suffering of God which waited 120 years as the ark was being built. He only emphasizes, listen to me, please, he only emphasizes the ignorance of sinful man in despising God's goodness and long-suffering and the swift judgment of God which took them all away. That's the only thing he emphasizes. He doesn't emphasize anything about Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That Noah was righteous and just and walked with God. doesn't mention anything about that. He emphasizes only the ignorance of sinful man and his being indifferent and the swift judgment that finally came after 120 years. That's the only thing he emphasizes. And as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He compares that. He said, just like they were, so shall it be in the days of Noah. In the days before the flood... with the building of the ark before their eyes and the voice of Noah echoing in their ears of the coming judgment of God, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark. People come into the house of God where the gospel is being preached. They hear it preached. 
They hear about the message of salvation, their need of Christ. They, they, they hear about the judgment of God. They hear about heaven and hell. They hear about their sins and their need to repent. And what do they do? They leave the house of God and they go back in life and they start eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and they're indifferent. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. People will ignore, be indifferent, complacent about everything that's been said. Their mockings of Noah and his preaching as well as his building of the ark was evident not only in their words, listen to me, but more so in their actions and lifestyle. Oh, I went to the house of God this morning, or I sat under Noah and I heard him preach, and he spoke of coming judgment, and that the ark that he was building is the only way to be saved from this judgment, and I heard him say all those things. Do you also realize I'm getting ahead of myself? Do you also realize this was a great task for Moses? He could not have done it without employing others to build the ark. Do you realize many of the people who drowned in that deluge helped build the ark? Do you know that? There's no way him and his sons could have built that by themselves. You could be part of a church. You could even be a member of a church. You could visit a church every Sunday for the rest of your life and still die and go to hell. Because it's not you building something, it's Christ being something, namely a Savior. Do you know how many people in the world today fall into this category? For a few moments under the preaching of the Word of God, their conscience stirs. Their hearts begin to beat a little faster. Their palms begin to sweat. And they think for a few moments of the seriousness of what the preacher's saying. And yet, no sooner do they get out the door, but they're back into enjoying their merry life again. Never considering it until the next time they come into the house of God. And then it goes on again like that. Listen to me. It goes on like that every week. They come back next Sunday. They hear it. They go back. They get convicted. They get, something happens. Some, God stirs in the heart. And they go back out in the world. And they marry and eat and drink. And they come back in the house of God. And they keep doing. It's the same thing they did in, in them days. You know what the problem with that is? The more you do that, the more your heart's going to be impotent. That's unrepentant. The more you do that, the more hardened your heart will be until it becomes so spiritually callous that you're not affected by the message anymore. It leaves you cold and indifferent. And you wonder why you even waste time going to church. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and hope both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. Scoffers. 
and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Willfully ignorant. Where's the promise of his coming? Preacher, I've sat under preaching for years. I've heard so many sermons, and I've read the Bible myself. And I know it speaks of God's coming judgment, but I, I don't sense it. I don't fear it. I don't dread it. Where's the promise of his coming? Your complacency is your doom. Be careful. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Again, Peter uses those same days of Noah to strike at the conscience of those who would say, where is the promise of his coming? You know what a scoffer is? <clears throat> a scoffer is someone who laughs or speaks about a person or idea in a way that shows that they think that person or idea stupid <coughs> or silly. It's just ignorance what you're talking about. It's silly. Can you imagine Noah standing on maybe a, a homemade, maybe a stone, a big rock, standing on a big rock, and behind him they're busy building the ark, and Noah's trying to preach the coming judgment of God while they look at him preach, and behind him's a boat on dry land, and he's talking about water coming from heaven that's never happened before, a judgment they've never known. Water from heaven? You're crazy. A mist comes up, and water's the... There's never been such a thing as water from heaven. You're saying water's going to come down from heaven? And this boat you got here, we have boats too, but we build ours in water. You're building yours on dry land. You're a fool. You're ignorant. You're silly. And yet Noah preached faithfully for 120 years. I really do want to get to Noah next week because I think we've been, as God's people, been greatly encouraged by Noah. He preached 120 years. <coughs> I heard one time, and don't misunderstand this statement because I really do mean it sincerely. I heard one time from an old preacher, uh, well, read about an old preacher, uh, Puritan preacher, as a matter of fact, well, after the Puritans, who said that if church is not seeing the saving of souls, the church is not living. Well, he said that in a time when there was great reviving and God was blessing the preaching of the gospel and many souls were coming to Christ. That doesn't happen in every age. And I think he was wrong in making that statement. Simply because he was in an age when God was blessing the church doesn't mean every age is like that. Otherwise, you'd have to say Noah was a failure. Was Noah a failure? Certainly not. <clears throat> but what enabled Noah, a man of the same flesh and blood as we are, to preach faithfully for 120 years, and at the end of 120 years, still have the faith to get on that ark? Knowing that for 120 years, Oh, we can learn from Noah. Because you know what? I believe in every, I know every generation has, but I mean, like we said last week, look around you, look at the times. I believe we're very, very, very close to the coming of the Son of Man. I believe we're very, very close. 
And who knows if this might not be the last time you have the opportunity to listen to the gospel. You can't turn on the news nowadays without seeing some kind of horrific sinful act. Again, last night, 10 people killed in a mall or something somewhere. Oh, it's a celebration or something in California. Shooter comes in and kills 10 people. You can be in Walmart. You can be walking through the halls of Walmart. Some fanatic pull out a gun and start shooting people. You can drive down the road. won't even be your, your fault, believe me. A car jumps the lane, runs into you head on. This could be the very last time. This could very, very well be the Lord's last, if I can use it, and you know where I'm coming from when I say it, could be the Lord's last effort of trying to awaken your conscience to your need of Christ before your day of judgment comes. Oh, preacher, you're just trying to scare us. Well, I believe with the old Puritan, I believe as well, when he says, if I could scare you into heaven, I'd do it. That's how serious it is. Complacency is your doom. It's your doom. <coughs> they heard Noah's preaching. They seen the building of the ark. Some even helped build it. Yet while God's judgment lingered, while his long-suffering, the Bible says, waited, that thought God was slacking or slack concerning his promise is what they thought. God's slack concerning his promise. Therefore, Peter says they walk after their own lust. Beloved, so are countless people today. They hear the preaching of the gospel. They hear the coming judgment of God upon all sinners. They hear that Christ is the only way to salvation. But listen to me. But because they fear not the coming judgment of God. They fear not the coming judgment of God, nor feel threatened by it because of God's long-suffering. They foolishly live out their days in their lust. This divine truth is what's missing from a lot of gospel preaching today. We have a lot of churches that outreaches, and sometimes I'm, I, I, I actually literally shake. I mean, when I first got saved, uh, when I was first converted, I was in a church that all emphasized outreach tremendously. In fact, they put such a burden on you that if you wasn't trying to reach sinners for Christ, you're probably lost and going to hell. And I mean, they put a burden on you about reaching out and getting. And sometimes I see churches and they're going, oh, we, we passed out 4,000 tracks here and 8,000 tracks. I don't care how many tracks you passed out. What is that a number? Is that some kind of marking you get when you do that much? What's the emphasis on the number? Why don't we just say we preach the gospel? It's almost as though they boast about their talents, their abilities, their efforts, their outreach. We don't do that. Pride comes in a lot of different faces. You preach the gospel. And I fear this part of the gospel is missing from a lot of the gospel today. Namely, the coming judgment of God. Oh, there's preaching about you're a sinner and you need Christ. If you come to Him, He'll forgive you and you'll go to heaven. But what about the other side of that? Noah says, yes, 
coming judgment. There's a coming judgment of God. The only way that you're going to survive that judgment of God is if you're on that ark with me. I don't care if you say, okay, oh, good, I believe you, the judgment of God is coming. The question is, if you're not on the ark, you're not going to be saved. That's the question. It's not simply that there's a gospel, there's someone who's paid your sin debt. The question of it is, on the other side of that coin is, if you don't believe that, then you have to understand you're going to suffer the judgment of God. People do not feel threatened today by the judgment of God. The church today, in many ways, has watered down the gospel to such an extent, people feel like they've got a choice. I, if, I, if I want to take Christ, I'll take Christ. If I want to, if I don't, I will. I won't. I'll just live my life and everything will be fine. God loves us all. It doesn't matter what we do. That never used to be the message of the church. Hebrews says Noah was moved by fear to the building of the ark. Fear of what? Noah understood the judgment of God. And if we understand the gospel, beloved, we have to understand the judgment of God on top of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is God's free mercy and grace towards sinners. Yet, if a sinner rejects that and denies that and despises that, then it's only left to the judgment of God, and that's something that we fear. Now, we have no evidence of how Moses and his family felt while they were in the ark. But I'm believing that it was not a smooth ride. I believe Moses or Moses, I believe Noah and his family fell every wave, heard every thunder and seen every lightning through that one little window. Is a horrific judgment of God. Your complacency and indifference to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the coming of God's judgment upon all who believe not in him, while left alone, shall bring great condemnation. Yet if now recognized and repented of, would bring you great salvation. You see, there's a difference in that. And I believe and I thank God for the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. I believe that's what Christ intends in explaining all these words. He goes into effort. Think about it. All them verses in our, in our text that the Lord speaks about being ready, being prepared, and uses Noah's days as a, an example that we should consider. All these verses from verse 36 all the way to 51, our Lord gives great effort in saying, listen, you've got to be ready because there's going to be one in the field, uh, two in the field, and one's going to be taken, one's going to be left. There's going to be two here, and one's going to be taken, and one's going to be left. If knew the thief was going to come, he wouldn't allow the thief to break into his house, and the evil servant wouldn't be beating his servant. He's, he, he's exhorting us. He's telling all those that were like in the days of Noah, complacent and different, he's telling them to wake up. To be alert. As the days of Noah were, Christ, beloved, would have us seriously consider those days that we might not find ourselves 
in the same condemnation. And knew not. And knew not. Until the flood came. None of these things. Preaching of Noah. The building of the ark. Listen to me. And the long suffering of God. Look, look, listen to me. This is the sinfulness of man. This is total depravity. Depicted very clearly. The preaching of Noah. The building of the ark. And the long suffering of God. None of these things could convince them to repent. None of them. Listen to me. Yet with the swift judgment of God, their hearts and minds were awakened to the reality of God's judgment and knew not until, knew not what, knew not what Moses, Noah was preaching, he knew not what Noah was going about, the ark, building of the ark, and the patience of God. They didn't know that. They didn't realize that until the flood came. You know what opened up their eyes? You know what made them aware of the reality of God's judgment? God's judgment. Think about that for a minute. If you don't listen to the messengers of God, if you don't listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're not convinced to repent of your sins because of those things, surely the judgment of God will one day convince you. Yet too late. Because it says, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. No escape. Think about that for a minute, child of God. Think about that next time we tell somebody about Christ. Next time we witness to somebody and tell them the gospel. We have to have that urgency as well. Yes, God is forgiving. He's merciful. Christ paid our sin debt. But you've got to understand, I've told you something that's very, very costly to your soul. If you deny and reject this, I'm telling you it's going to be worse for you on the day of judgment than if you ever never heard the gospel preached. Do you understand what I'm saying? All the messages you've ever heard, all the Bible readings you've ever done, all the praying that's been done in your presence, they, all, they will all rise up one day in judgment against you. You're not convinced of it now, but you will be convinced of it then. Yet too late. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. No in between. It's appointed unto man once to die. Then the judgment. The moment your heart stops, the moment you stop breathing, the moment your body stops living. That very moment you will step into the presence of God and be judged if you're without Christ. That's how quick and swift it will be. Oh, I feel fine. I'm healthy. I still have a couple years before me. I'm young. I have time. I believe the message is telling you this morning that you don't. What are you going to do with that? You're going to be indifferent about that and complacent and say, oh, preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. God will still give me time. I'll think about it. You remember the rich man and Lazarus? Do you realize in that story which Christ told in Luke, do you realize that it was first in hell 
listen to me, it was first in hell being in torment that the rich man finally lifted up his eyes. Did you ever notice that in that text? In hell, being in torments, he lifted up his eyes. If he had only lifted up his eyes while he still lived. But the torments of hell caused him to do something that in life he refused to do. You will realize who God is. If you die without Christ, you will realize who God is in its entirety by his judgment of you. And it will be too late. That you could but understand that. The five foolish virgins didn't realize the cost of not having enough oil for their lamps until the bridegroom came while they were away and the door was closed. You see, dearly beloved brothers and sisters, it matters not <coughs> in this aspect if the world believes us or not. To a certain extent, don't misunderstand that state. It does matter to us. We want the world to believe us. But I'm telling you, the world will, everyone, every man, woman, child ever born into this world, everyone will one day bow their knees and acknowledge Christ to be Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will know God. Everyone will know him perfectly. Everyone will understand perfectly. Everyone will. The saints in heaven will enjoy his presence, and those in hell will despise his presence. Do you, know, do you know in hell they're not repenting? There's no repentance in hell. It's a gift of God. You know why there's gnashing, grinding of teeth? The Bible uses so often. It's out of utter hatred for God. You will have an extreme hatred for God. Oh, you will not be pleading for mercy. You'll be having an extreme hatred for God. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now listen to these three verses as I bring this down to close. Listen, this is the tender mercies of God, this passage of Scripture. And you're still being alive and the church still being here and the church still preaching the message. Are you listening this morning? This is it. This is it. This is the day of salvation. This is the moment. This is the moment that you have, and don't misunderstand me, that you have the opportunity by God's grace because it's the preaching of the gospel, to listen to the gospel, to obey the gospel. Listen. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. Verse 44. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You see how our Lord builds this up? He says, watch, be ready, and then watch how he closes it in verse 50. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. This is someone who's not watching and not ready. When he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see how fun he ends? You see how it's progressive? Watch. Be ready. Because if not, he'll come when you're unaware of it. 
and it'll be too late. I witnessed, unfortunately, last week the funeral which broke my heart where a proposing preacher of the gospel stood up and mentioned nothing about salvation in the gospel. Gave everybody the idea and the influence that everything's okay with everyone and that God is merciful and if you just kind of do your best to live right, you'll be okay. You know why only eight people got on that ark? Well, I believe in election. I'm not saying that. But I'll tell you also another biblical truth that's just as important as the other one. You know why only eight got on the gospel? What got on the ark? Only eight souls were saved? Because they rejected and ignored what Noah preached. Taking vengeance on those who obey not the gospel. Thessalonians said. I'll close again with this thought. Do you, do you understand this morning, if you're here or you're listening on the Internet or you listen throughout the week, do you understand by hearing a message such as this from our Lord in Matthew 24 that it's the tender mercies of God? Do you, do you understand that? It's the tender. The church is still here. The messengers of God are still preaching. But one day, like in the days of Noah, God will say to Noah and all his messengers, it's time for you to be silent. There's no more invitation. There's no more gospel preaching. Come into the ark, and I'll close the door. And that silence, oh, that silence will be your utter ruin. And you'll wish, you'll wish and pray that you'd paid attention, that you wasn't complacent and indifferent. Oh, that I might have listened more closely to what Noah said. Oh, that I might have understood. For like the rich man, you notice he didn't seek to save himself. What did he know? He knew it was too late. Oh, one day the church shall be silent. And the gospel shall never be heard again. The only next sound that comes will be the judgment of God. When the worst shall look upon him who sits on the throne and says, cries out to the rocks, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That day is not here yet. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. Oh, here's grace. Here's grace. Please hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, it's so difficult as a preacher sometimes, Lord, knowing, Lord God, that the words I say are savers from the life or death. That when the gospel goes out, it'll either save the soul or it will one day rise up and condemn it. Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? My Father, I pray that, Lord, you this morning by your word would awaken those that have been so long complacent and indifferent. Lord, help them to understand that their time is not on their side.
Lord, every second of life, every breath they take, every heartbeat, they're one step closer to eternity without Christ, one day less without Christ, one day closer to judgment. Father, I pray, show them the urgency of their need of Christ. Lord, I pray that you draw them unto yourself, that they might know thee and thy glorious salvation. Lord, I pray, help us as your children when we preach the gospel, to preach the urgency, Lord, of the gospel, and that, Lord, rejection of it and indifference towards it will be their doom. Help us, dear God, we pray, to be faithful like Noah in preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray you guide and direct now in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.